It was 20 years ago when this site uh, was constructed. I have pictures in my files of a time when the Northside family, which looks a lot different now than it was then, met out on these grounds to see the places where they would sit, to look at what the new layout would be like, to pray over the land that they had purchased, and to consider the future which God had in store. And with all that being done, could they have had any idea what God had in store for his family? Could we have any idea what God has in store for us? We are on Sunday nights in our journey with John. As we are looking at the Gospel of John, we are being very intentional about the journey that John takes us through with the Messiah. As we consider his life, we're going to look tonight at John chapter 2. Verses 12 through 25. John chapter 2, verses 12 through 25. The story of Jesus proclaiming an unusual thing about a very important place. Would the Jews have any idea what God was going to accomplish? Did they have any idea what was about to happen in his temple? See, they thought of God's holy place as a building, but God had much more in mind. Something that would far outlast buildings and go much further into the future. John chapter 2, verses 12 through 25. If you have a Bible, I hope you're reading along with me. After he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples and stayed there for a few days, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money chambers and overturned their tables. And he told them who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house into a house of trade. The disciples remember that it was said, it was written, your zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show for us doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it is taking 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now then, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. It's a very powerful story. We start with 
kind of thinking about the characters who are present. First, we, we see that it was Jesus, of course, and his family, his brothers, his siblings, his mother, and the disciples are traveling. <clears throat> they are at the Passover feast in Jerusalem. They have moved down from, of course, last week's story was they were at Cana in Galilee. And we, if we look on a map, uh, we can see first, sorry, John chapter 2, at the beginning of the chapter, of verse 12, he says, when it came time for the Passover, for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Okay, and so from Cana, where we were at the wedding feast, to Capernaum was 16 miles to the northeast. Now, Capernaum was on the, the shore, but it on a map, it's down, and it says they went up. Well, what they're talking here is about the level, the sea level. Of course, Capernaum being closer to the shore would have been at sea level. So they went down, and then when they go to Jerusalem, it says they went up. So that tells us where we are. As we said, we are at the Passover, which has been around the first full moon toward the end of March, maybe toward early April. Uh, and this is the first of three Passovers in John. What's interesting about that is there are other accounts in the other Gospels where Jesus is cleansing the temple, and yet it had to have been at a different Passover than the one here. So what that tells us is that this was not the only incident, the only time when Jesus cleansed the temple. It's very interesting because his zeal wasn't just a one-time thing. It was very likely at least happened on one other occasion. Why did this happen? Why did Jesus do something uh, that we never reenact at VBS? Which, honestly, to me, would be way more entertaining. Um, But there he is, making a whip out of cords, driving people out, turning over tables, angry, purposeful, intentional, outright convicted that there are things happening in God's house which shouldn't be happening in God's house. What lessons can we learn as we look through the text? I think there are a few, and I'll share those with you tonight. First, uh, we see that Jesus passionately cleared the temple. During Passover, worshipers came from all over to Jerusalem, converging on that city. And when they did, of course, they were required that they perform sacrifices, that they have animals to sacrifice, and traveling a great distance with animals and things like that was very inconvenient. So just as a matter of convenience, they had set up this system where they could travel from a far place, come and purchase some animals to make the proper sacrifices. There was, of course, lots of currency changing hands, and it was required uh, that they had to pay the temple tax, and it had to be done with a certain level of coinage because there was a certain purity in the silver. Uh, and so these money changers that were set up were serving a purpose. They had, uh, in their minds, they were doing something that helped the people, but they were also profiting as people came to worship God. And Jesus was not pleased with that. Jesus saw a marketplace in what was supposed to be a holy place. If you read through the book of Leviticus, there are, there's, of course, lots of rules and laws. But the real purpose of Leviticus is a scripture that says you must learn to distinguish between the holy and the common. And that's what Leviticus is all about. You boil down all those rules. It's about understanding the holiness of God and learning to distinguish between the holiness of God and the commonplace things of man. 
What's happening in this temple is that God's holy place, the place, the meeting place with God, had become an ordinary market. They had forgot the reason that they had come. They had been distracted. In so many ways, it connects to this morning's sermon because they were distracted by common things. Not bad things, mind you, just less important things. Um, one commentator said that where this was happening, the, the buying and selling of animals, the exchanging of uh, currency, uh, was happening in the outer court of the Gentiles. So it's interesting that, that this really upsets Jesus because for the Jews coming in, once they got past that outer court and proceeded into their, where they could attend and where they could make their sacrifices, it was probably very normal. And yet, for the Gentiles, for those who had been far off from God, yet another obstacle had been put in the way. They had been con- relegated already to people of faith that didn't really matter. Don't worry about the Gentiles. Their sacrifices aren't as important. And it's interesting to me that that made Jesus very angry. The common animal vendors, the money changers, had interrupted their communion with God. They were exploiting prayer for profit. And so this leads Jesus to fight for his father's house and to fight for his purity. Jesus was angry over their irreverence. And yet we believe because Jesus was without sin that in his anger he didn't sin. One commentator said that he was forceful but not cruel. That he did the things which needed to be doing and he wasn't afraid to fight the right battles. But he didn't take it too far. Jesus' zeal was over the reverence and the holiness of his father. And the, the, the people that were coming, be it Jew or Gentiles, were being interrupted as they sought the presence of God. Turn to Psalm chapter 69, verse 9, which is the, the verse that's quoted. I want to read that with just a little bit more context. Psalm chapter 69 Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You, God, know my folly and my guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the, God, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me, God of Israel. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my mother's children, for zeal for your house consumes me. And the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of drunkards. But I pray to you. 
O Lord. In the time of your favor, of your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. See, God seemed distant. I don't know if you've ever been at a point in your life where God seems distant. But in those moments, God forbid that the people of God, that the place of God ever be in any way inhibiting toward those who seek him. And this is what angered God, was because the house of God was, was that place where he called his people, and even the people who were not of his people were still had the opportunity to seek him, and yet they were being interrupted. They were being put back. And the psalmist says, ah, even though all this stuff gets in the way, even though I have enemies who get in the way, even though I have people who get in the way, even my own family may get in the way, I will seek out the Lord God. May we, as the people of God, um, always be seeking out and looking for people who are seeking to be near the Lord. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You ever think, you ever think that as a Christian... God's Spirit dwells in you. And that tomorrow, or sometime this week, along your path, perhaps at work, perhaps at home, perhaps standing behind someone in line, uh, perhaps as you're just going about your common, ordinary, everyday business, someone who's seeking God, someone who's in the darkness, they're looking for a light, will cross your path. Intentionally, God God. It designs those occurrences, those, those things to happen. The question is, will they see the light? Will they have an opportunity to seek the holy presence of God, not in you, not that you're so holy, but that the presence of God resides in you, and that from you they'll experience mercy and grace and love and hope? Or will they be interrupted by all the things which you're concerned with? And we give thought to our ways and may we let Jesus cleanse not just that temple back in that time, but may he cleanse our temple from the things which interrupt God's mission and God's plan. The second lesson that we learn is that Jesus purposely, intentionally crushed his temple. There was a lot of history around the temple. The Jews were concerned that you're going to destroy this temple in three days? (laughs) Solomon built the temple and the the palace next to it, and it took 20 years to build. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 10 tells us. 20 years to build. And you're going to destroy it? And you're going to rebuild it in three days? Of course, Solomon's temple was destroyed in 586 B.C., and then it was rebuilt And it took 70 years to rebuild at that time. You're going to destroy this temple? You're going to rebuild it in three days? Herod the Great had renovated, was in the process of renovating that temple of that time in more or less 20 B.C. And it would take until 70 A.D. to finish it. Which, if you know your history, you know that right around 70 A.D., there was sort of a big event that happened around the temple, and that is the Romans surrounded the city of Jerusalem, held it under siege, and would destroy the temple. 
you're going to take that very same temple, you're going to rebuild it in three days. They missed the point. His, his temple, the temple, was destroyed that ours might be saved. Now, of course, we understand, looking back, knowing the history in the Bible, uh, that the temple was the dwelling place of God and the ways in which God distanced himself from the people uh, through the Levite priests and through the divisions of the courts of the actual temple. And then once you got to the temple itself, you had the holy place and the most holy place. And that only one priest, the most high priest, could go in there one time a year because it was the actual dwelling place of God. The holiness dwelt among men. And Jesus says, destroy it. And I will rebuild it in three days. Oh, that was scandalous. Of course they would ask the question. Of course they would say, oh, come on now. What sign are you going to give us to show us that you can do that? That is a fairly tall order. I don't want us to miss, however, as we understand that he's not talking about the physical temple, but the temple of his body, that what he's saying when he says, destroy this temple And I will rebuild it in three days. What is he saying? That in me, within me, is the presence of God. And within the presence of God, when you are near me, you are near the Father. For the first time, there wasn't so much separation between God and man. But in the Christ, the temple where God could come near, where man could come near to God. And where the holy work of God could begin. May we not forget what he's truly saying when he says, destroy this temple. And I will build it again in three days. At at Calvary, of course, both temples were ravaged. The physical one, um, in all the Gospels, there's this account. But I want to go to the account in Luke chapter 23. If you'll turn there. Luke chapter 23, it was about, it was now, verse 44 of chapter 23, it was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Matthew chapter 27, that same account tells us that the temple curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. The the curtain was the division, separation between where human beings could dwell and where where the holy dwelt. And that division, that separation, when Jesus died, what happened was the separation was torn. And what's interesting is that Matthew records it was torn from the top to the bottom, meaning, meaning no human being made that happen But it was God himself who removed the separation. It was God himself who removed the curtain. When when the rock shook and when the temple shook and when the curtain tore, the division between God and man that had started in the garden, oh, so many years ago, was now no longer there. Praise God. The first time when Jesus cleansed the temple... He made a whip. But the final time that Jesus cleansed the temple, the final time that Jesus 
tore the curtain. He didn't forge a whip. He took the whip. Matthew chapter 27, in about verse 50. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion, the Roman centurion, when the Gentile looked, with those who were standing with him, those who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely, surely he was the Son of God. His temple was crushed so that ours might be raised. His temple was cleansed. His temple was made sinful that ours might be made holy. Because his temple was raised, ours can be as well. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Paul says, starting in verses 4 and 5, he says, We were buried with, ba- with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body, the temple, ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. You see, there was purpose and reason and meaning behind the temple being destroyed. And it wasn't the temple that they thought. It was the temple that Jesus brought into the world. He came from heaven to earth. To show the way. It it was the living temple of God. The walking, talking, teaching, loving temple of God. The moment where God's presence put on skin. Had eye color. Had his heart broken. Got angry. When his presence came into our presence. And yet, that wasn't to be permanent. He had a purpose in coming. And his purpose was that his temple might be destroyed. Which leads us to the last point. That Jesus permanently cleanses our temple. Now, in in John, there's this repeated thread of washing. Uh, The point is, there is no cleansing Without the Christ. It just simply can't happen. You can try it on your own. You can do it by yourself. You can, you can do the ceremonial washing. But as Jesus will later say to Peter. Unless I wash you. You can have no part of me. Look in Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. This is interesting as we think about the purpose of why Jesus came. <clears throat> 
Malachi chapter 3, it's the last book of the Old Testament, the last voice that we will hear from for God for several centuries before Jesus steps into the scene. He says this about the coming Messiah. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like refiner's fire. Or, and some translations say a launderer's soap, and some say a fuller's soap. Um, if you have fuller, you're probably not familiar with that, what that means, but a fuller was a person who cleansed and, and worked with the freshly woven cloth, which was off, often wool, and he would beat it, and he would, he would wet it, and he would beat it again, and he had this bleaching process to, to, to take that which was impure and dirty and unwashed and to make it full and pure and clean. And as white as snow, the process involved bleaching and wetting and bleaching the fibers until they were fully cleansed. And that's what he said the Messiah came to do. The Lord will clean and bleach and even beat our spiritual fibers to clean us, to make us whole. Turn now to John, which is, of course, where we're, the book that we're in. And John says this in John chapter 15, starting verse 2. He's speaking about the vine and the branches. And he says, starting verse 2. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Listen. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. There is this cleansing process which Jesus can do, which nothing else can do. It was the blood of him and him alone that would wash us wider than the fuller could ever make us. Wash us wider than any garment you've ever seen. And it will not just does that one time, but continually repeatedly, without end, washes those who are in him. Listen to John again. Turn very quickly to 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Precious blood of the Lamb, His Son, purifies us from all sin. And if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, if we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not. May we allow him, because of what he did at the temple, 
to permanently cleanse us and wash us. And may we let him rebuild us. Someone once said that God formed us, but sin deformed us. It was Jesus that transformed us. Jesus had to be crushed so that you and I might be raised. Oh, glory to God for his wonderful work. And the story doesn't stop there, by the way. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this, So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Don't miss this. Jesus absolutely rebuilt the temple. And every single time a person chooses to follow Jesus, they join that temple. And the temple now isn't just in one city. It's in many cities. It isn't in just one place. It's in many places. It's not reduced to one period of time. It's been throughout the ages. His temple goes on and on and on in us. May Jesus cleanse us, and may we not forget that we are a holy temple to be transformed by him, that when people come near, not because of us, but because of what he's done in us, they might have the opportunity to dwell in the presence of God. May that message not leave our lips nor leave our hearts. Tonight, I hope the message has been helpful to you. But if you are not in Christ, then you are not at the temple. And if you haven't let him transform you, then that is the only way. He was crushed that you might be raised. And if you're ready to be raised, please come forward tonight. We'll be glad to help you. If you've been raised, but you've let some stuff get in the temple that shouldn't be there. And you want him to cleanse you. Let us pray with you and for you and encourage you. If you have a need, please come. I'll meet you down front as together we stand and sing.